if we can change the fabric of society when it comes to, you know, reinstituting the marriage and the relationship between husband and wife and then carrying that on through the children, if we could just be a p- small part of that, mm-hmm. like that's a huge impact. If you can just change one relationship at a time, that's big enough for me. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, Karen and I are going to be discussing a concept around the family unit and what we believe the importance around that is. There's an entire deconstruction of the family going on. And if you look at the last probably four to five generations, this has been kind of like a slow erosion of what really matters. And so we're going to kind of dig into that today. You know, one of the things that I was talking about a while back in the mobile home park space, we're always talking about recession resistant investments, not just the mobile home park space, but investing in general. But the thing that I've really been anchoring on and thinking about is what are the activities that we can do in our lives as couples, in our marriages, that I'm calling divorce-resistant activities. We're going to get into some of that. But this is just something that Karen and I are super passionate about, which is why we created The Next Level Couple. And so hopefully you enjoy the episode. Hopefully you walk away with a few things that you guys can implement in your family, in your relationships that help your family carry on for generations and generations to come. You know, as we get into this, Kara, I'm really excited for this conversation. One of my favorite books ever is The Almanac of Naval Ravikant, super successful investor, angel investor. I mean, he's, I don't know what his net worth is, but he's invested in so many companies. And one of the things that he said in The Almanac of Naval Ravikant was the most important decision you'll ever make is the person that you'll marry. And as we kind of dive into this conversation today, here's a bold, crazy statement. Like, I don't need you in my life to survive, to be successful, um, to have, you know, a successful business or whatever. I don't need you for that. But man, it sure makes it so much better, like doing life with somebody that it's the concept that we talk about in the couples mastermind all the, all the time. Like one plus one can equal a hundred. And so there's this whole movement, like where I don't need a man, I don't need a woman, like independent, hear me roar. And it's true. Like we don't need each other, but the reality is, gosh, it's so much more fun and like empowering. And again, I think one plus one can equal a hundred when we're aligned. Yeah, I totally agree. And the fact of, um, that it, makes it more impactful. It makes it more, it's definitely more fun when you do life together. But I, I I think that like, yes, we can be successful. Yes, we can do all of these things on our own, but I actually do think we need each other. And so I'm going to kind of go against you in that and play devil's advocate for a minute because, um, you know, something that was said at Hobby Lobby by Bill, Bill High is solitary confinement is the worst punishment. And the reason why it's the worst punishment is because we need each other. We need people. And I think we can go further, faster, longer if we have the right people around us. And I do think it's really important um, to make sure that we are marrying the right person. And, you know, divorce rates are so high. Nobody gets married and they're like, 
oh, you know, I'm going to put in five years and then on to the next one. That's not the purpose of getting married. Um, usually you think you want to spend the rest of your life with them. And if you don't think that and you're not maybe married quite yet, I would really, really caution you to not make that decision, to not make that commitment because you want to be with somebody who you do want to spend the rest of your life with and not be like, I'm going to put in five years. In fact, I have a story of a really good friend of mine who was in a marriage that she knew she wasn't supposed to marry him beforehand, but her parents had already paid for all of the wedding. And so she didn't want to, you know, it had cost money. So she literally told me that she said in her mind, I'll put in five years and then I'm out. And to me, that's, and it was a miserable marriage. And so to me, that is just so heartbreaking that people would do that. And I don't think we should be miserable in our marriages. But the fact of the matter is, is when we're, when we get married, we're not thinking about getting divorced. So what happens? What happens that causes us to separate? Yeah. And by the way, I think we're saying the same thing. I'm not, when you say devil's advocate, need is a very, like, I get it. Isolation. I'm not talking about, I'm just saying there's like this whole principle that there's like so many people that, you know, I, I don't need a man. And I agree, you don't need a man. Like, but I don't, the one plus one conversation, mm -hmm. you can have two in your life. One plus one equals two. But if you really truly want, so again, when you were saying, you know, you're going to play the devil's, I think we're saying the same thing. You don't need a man to survive. I don't need a woman to survive. But I don't think we're talking about survival here. No. I think we're talking about literally the multiplication conversation of one plus one equaling a hundred. If you want, if you want a big life, and it, whether it's a marriage partnership, whether it's, you know, uh, we were discussing this in a previous episode about partners, even in business, Russ Gray said this like a long time ago, if two partners have the same strength, one of them's not needed. But the reality is like, I love doing business with partners because it makes it so much easier. And even if it's not business partners, like, you know, Tim and I were talking about this, our, our middle son the other day, actually it was just today. Um, our strengths in business. And it's the same thing in life. And so again, I just want to kind of clarify, like, I think we're saying the same thing. So I wasn't like saying that I don't actually need you in my life, but the reality is that multiplication when you're aligned makes it so much more powerful. Yeah. I, I knew that you were agreeing with me, but I just wanted to point out that we do need each other. Um, I, th I do think that there's a message out there saying we don't need each other and you don't need family and you don't need you know, all of these things. And really, that's like the base of everything is your family life, like that legacy that you're leaving. And, you know, in the Bible, it says, be fruitful and multiply. It's not about just multiplying to have a lot. It's, it's about creating and creating something great in your life and passing it on to generations. Yeah. So in one of our previous episodes, we were kind of talking about this. And I said, hey, we should like continue this conversation, because I think really, on that thread, and this is again, one of the main reasons why we really started the next level couple. I mean, if you look at one of the biggest problems in our society today, if you go, if you go into a city that's challenged and you look at the amount of fathers mm -hmm. or fatherless homes that exist, that's probably a really strong indicator of what the community is going to look like. If you go into, and you look at the divorce rate, it's like 50%. Yeah. And that's not even counting, you kind of alluded to this earlier, but the amount of people that are not even getting married anymore, yeah. that don't have any interest in getting married because of the model um, that was, you know, shown to them. And so I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but I grew up in a family that was broken. 
Um, but at some point in time, and my let talks about this all the time, like when are you going to break that pattern? Yes. And when we talk about divorce resistant activities, as I said in the intro, um, that's what I really want to kind of key in on is what are some of the things that you see like families doing that are together that those that are not don't? Yeah. I'm thinking about just like intentional time right now of making sure that you have it in your calendar. I think that that's something that we we think is like, oh, this is silly to put this in our calendar because it's family. We should just want to or it should just happen. But everybody's busy and the older your kids get, if you have kids in sports, I know you know what I'm talking about. Like, when do you eat dinner? Do you eat dinner at 3.30 in the afternoon or do you eat dinner at nine o'clock at night, right? So that's a real thing. And so the busier we are, the more intentional that we have to be of making sure that we're having those connection points, whether that's we eat fa- dinner as a family every night, which was something that we really adhered to. There were busy seasons where it wasn't happening every night. But I would say for the most part, we were sitting down at our table in the dining room, eating dinner together, having conversation. And I think that was a connection point for us as a family unit. I think that there's different points, parts of this, you know, the family unit is, is multifaceted, right? You have the, the couple, which is the main part of the family. And then you have the children. Um, then it also goes up to your parents and stuff too. So focusing on just that piece of it, I think that being intentional with your time with that you're spending with your kids and then what that you're spending with your spouse too. Date nights are another thing that we are really intentional about. We go on a date night every week and then we usually have a walk of some kind almost daily, not every day, but I would say almost daily where we can have a time to connect. And sometimes we're not saying anything. In fact, lately our walks have been very silent and that's okay too. You don't have to fill the space But it's still a time of like connecting and making sure you're being intentional. Another thing that I think is really cool that we've done as far as being intentional is um, as our kids have gotten older, we've adopted a a saying from Jean Garino called FFF. It's called Force Family Fun. And it's we we joke about it because when your kids are teenagers, sometimes you have to force them to hang out with you. Um, But it always ends up being fun, right? That's the that's the word fun in there. You have to make sure that it's something fun so that it kind of becomes a joke. But our family loves getting together. And we have, to this day, we still have forced family days. We try to do something once a month. We usually get together more than once a month, but just to have it on the calendar of somebody. And now we're, we're shifting to a time where different people are planning it. So you're in charge of a month and you decide what we're going to do for the forced family fun. But I think putting things on the calendar and making, it's kind of like rituals, putting rituals in place and routines, because if we don't have rituals and routines, then you you fall to your lowest standard, right? So if you don't have that standard of this is our routine, this is our ritual that we do as a family. Um, and the cool thing is they get to pass that on to their kids too. Yep. Yeah. And just thinking about the rituals and the routines, Ron Luce years ago talked about the 777. And I've shared this with people as, and we didn't always adhere to this either, but like the concept of 777 is every seven days, like have a day together, do something fun, which would kind of fall into the Mm -hmm. forced family fun conversation. Every seven weeks, they would take like a mini vacation, um, maybe just for a day or two, even doesn't have to be anything huge. And then every seven months, making sure that you have some sort of family trip. It's another type of ritual, right? But it's like these um, intentional connection points that are just super important. And, you know, as you were saying that too, like I was listening to somebody, um, I don't even know when this was, but it wasn't that long ago. And they were talking about how they have teenagers that just don't want to hang out with them anymore. And 
you know, that comes from a place. So if you have little kids, like make it fun, make it enjoyable. And then as they grow up, they're going to want to continue that. But you know, if you've got older teenagers that don't want to hang out with you, then I, I kind of have to ask the question, like, what can you do to make that time enjoyable? And you know what, that's a really interesting period of time. And I get that. And all of our kids are young adults now, so they can just decide to do whatever they want. But the reality is for the most part, like they didn't not want to be with us. Yeah, they're going to want to go with their friends and yeah. But as long as the time doesn't suck being with you, yeah, like they're probably, maybe you're going to have some periods of resistance, but you know, I think you really have to ask the question if your kids literally just don't want to be with you, what can you do? You're the adult here. Like what can you do to make it more intentional and try to bring them back into your world? And it's going to have to be with some bribes of some sort, <laughs> yeah. like I'm, things they want to do. No shame in bribes for yeah, sure. <laughs> like what do they want to do? Yeah. Um, I love that too, because I, I'm thinking about as, as the adult, like you said, you're, we're the adult. So it's our job to invite them and you can't make somebody do something. So I'm more, especially in the teenage years, you know, a lot of people are scared of the teenage years, but I loved the teenage years, but it's, you're, you move from like that parent that's, um, you know, telling them what to do all the time to more of a, um, you're inv- inviting them into your world. It's more of like a coaching period rather than a, like, I'm going to tell you what to do because they're becoming adults. They're going through hormone changes. It is a natural biological thing. So us as adults, we have to be the bigger person and say, and remember, this is a big one. Do you remember what it felt like to be a teenager? Do you remember what it felt like to hang out with your parents? What did you wish that your parents would do? And and it's always going to change every generation and each generation should be getting better and better. And, you know, I know that my parents improved from their parents. We improved from my parents and I can't wait to see our kids be parents because I know they're going to be 10 times better than we are, right? Like it should be improving with, with each generation, but you're right. And it's our job to make it fun. Like it's our job to invite them and play kind of in their world and just invite them into ours. Yeah. And like our kids are at a disadvantage because we're going to be such great grandparents <laughs> that their kids might not even want to go home. I'm just saying that's it. Uh, I'm, I'm joking. But, you know, you were talking earlier too about, I've been thinking this concept and I've heard this a lot lately too. Like the idea of like, show me someone's calendar and I'll show you whether they're going to be successful. And I've even been thinking about this lately. Um, my calendar has always been white space after five o'clock and white space on the weekends. And it's kind of interesting. I think it was Chris Harder, or maybe Lori, they were having a conversation and they were talking about how like even those times shouldn't necessarily be white space. They didn't say it that way, right. but that's how I like heard it. And it made me realize that like, it was good that it was white space, but this intentional calendaring, because if somebody looked at my calendar, they wouldn't actually know like what I did after five o'clock or they wouldn't know what I did on the weekend. And the idea of like me even interrogating my calendar, like scheduling in some of these you know, dinner and cause it like trains your brain. Yeah. Like it literally trains your brain. And I'm not like a overly anal person when it comes to my calendar anyway, but as I've thought about, you know, being more obedient to my calendar to make sure that, you know, I'm measuring what matters and I'm engaging on what's important. It's really had me thinking more about making sure that I schedule those intentional things. Like even date night, I just know that Thursday night's date night, but it doesn't actually say that on my calendar unless like an open table reservation pops up. But I think that's an important thing is like, we need to be paying attention and scheduling what really matters. You know, we're in this period of time, our daughter's going to Ireland, empty nesters. So maybe it doesn't matter as much, 
But, you know, if you've got younger kids, intentionally schedule that, plan it in. I think that is probably one of the greatest um, family fall apart resistant activities. Yeah. Another thing like that I've been thinking about, and this actually, a lot of my thoughts right now are stemming from our time that we spent at Hobby Lobby. But one of the things that they were talking about is kind of this falling apart of the family unit as far as generations. If you, And you'll see it in like TV shows and stuff. He was talking about how, you know, it was like Leave it to Beaver and all these family shows. And then it started shifting to more like Seinfeld. You know, there's these friends that are hanging out and that was the family unit. And then you saw... um friends, right? Like you see all these um, TV shows and you see it as a pattern and that's really what's happened in our culture. And, you know, we, we are raised to, and you, you see this too, when people, when I noticed when my kids were like, started to be like junior seniors in high school, everybody's asking them, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? And there's so much pressure on that. And then there's the parents who are like, yeah, get out of our house. You turned 18. You know, I hear it all the time, especially I'm going to call out all the successful parents. I'm putting that in parentheses. Um, or people who are, you know, career oriented. They're pushing their kids out, almost like kicking them out and saying, Hey, hey go do. Okay. Yeah. You're 18. My time's up. I'm, I'm off the clock now when really parenting is a lifetime. Yeah. And. We, I think we've lost that in these generations. And I know that that partly is to do with a lot of um, broken and hurt families. Um, so I'm not saying that, you know, we come from what we come from. But even thinking about my parents and thinking about, you know, they're retired now and they don't live where we live. And so thinking about like what that looks like and making sure that I'm taking time to bring them into my world because it matters, right? Their stories matter to my kids. Their stories matter to my grandkids. And so how do we keep those stories going within the family unit? And another thing that was brought up was this idea that we we retire and we move to like Florida or Arizona and we live in these communities of 50 plus, right? And no kids are allowed there. And it's actually proven that grandparents live longer, the ki- grandkids live longer, great grandkids when they can be together and when they can be in community. So, you know, really bringing that peace back to our families of like, how do we continue these generations on. Yeah. And there was this concept of Hobby Lobby talking about the nuclear family and how that kind of, you know, started really pulling everything apart. But I was thinking about even what you said with your parents. And I don't remember who said this, but recently I just heard somebody talking about they were making a decision whether um, to go on a, you know, a trip to see the family or something. And there's this, this concept, like if your, if your parents are 50 or let's say 60, I mean, our, our parents are 60 and the average lifespan is 84. Mm-hmm. So you have 24 more years. It's not 24 more years though. If the average family gets together three times a year, it's, it's 72 more times mm-hmm. that you're going to see them. If you get together. I mean, rarely do people probably, if they don't live in the same city, yeah. rarely do people see their families three times a year. It's probably more like once yeah. a year. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. But even at three, if you just think about the math on that, yeah, at 24 years, you're like, oh, I have 24 years left mm-hmm. with my mom. Mm-hmm. No, you don't have 24 years left. Best case scenario, if it's three times a year, you have whatever, 70, 72, 72 more times that you're going to see them. Mm-hmm. If you see them one time a year, it's 24 more times that you're going to see them in your lifetime. 
And it's just kind of like an erosion of the entire family, as you said. And I think we have to just figure out how to kind of pull that back. Russell Brunson was talking about Seinfeld. Um, and they, they were talking about Seinfeld too at, at, uh, at Hobby Lobby, but from a different perspective. So when Russell was talking about Seinfeld, he was saying that like, it was this show without a point. It just didn't even really have a theme. And it was the same thing with Friends. And they were talking about friends from a standpoint of like the erosion of the nuclear family. And then it moved, no, not the erosion of the nuclear family, the erosion of the family. Then it moved to nuclear family. Then it moved to a point where it's like, like who's the parents? Mm-hmm. The parents weren't even involved in because friends. Because the parents was, are idiots. Yeah. Usually. <laughs> that, yeah, totally. And like, I think we have to just figure out how to bring that back. Like, how do we bring that back into the conversation? And that whole thing about like, you know, our parents are in their 60s. Like, if you see them once a year, you might have 24 more times. Yeah. If it's twice a year, you got 48 more times, whatever. Yeah. Three, three times a year, it's 72. That's crazy. It is. That really like shakes me as a person because, you know, I, and I think like that was one of the things that really shook me when we were in that Hobby Lobby. I might cry. Is we've been trained as a culture that like as soon as you get married, you have your own family and you do. Like yeah. I'm not like discounting that. You do. And you grow that, but it doesn't mean that it ends Mm -hmm. from the past and it doesn't mean that it ends in the future too. And I've almost been in this place where I felt like it was over and that I had to savor these times that my kids want to be here because they're going to have families, but it's not over. Like it gets to continue on. Mm -hmm. And, but that's not what we're taught in our culture. And that's not what we're teaching our kids. We're like, Hey, get some wings and grow because you're on your own, buddy. Like that's the way that we've been taught. But really it's like um, another thing that was said was like, give them roots. And I think our roots are so powerful of like, what have we, what have we come from? What are the values? What are you establishing in your family that mm-hmm. they can hold on to and also come back to? I'm not saying like move back home, but like come back to and have a safe place to be and feel supported and also financially supported too. in in the same regard, um, but then give them wings too. So it's not, you're not anchoring them down. You're giving them wings to be able to go do what they're called to do because they're an individual and they have their own gifts and their own callings. Right. But this idea of like, it's over and you have this small period of time where you're this family unit, but really it should be generational. And that's where that whole, like, keep it continuing going for generations and really amazing families who have taken these rituals and made it a ritual to get together with their family, even as they gr- they've grown, like David Green does with his family. I think, I don't remember how many family members they have in their uh, family now, but they have get togethers once a year where they really, they even go over their values and stuff. And I think that that's just something we've lost in our cultural culture, especially in America, that I think we need to bring back. Yeah. Well, and even back to like the need, um, you know, you have a wife that has kids or a woman that has kids, not a wife, but a woman and you know, her husband leaves or she leaves or whatever. And then like, there's this natural, um, tendency to, you know, I don't need a man. Mm -hmm. And then that's what kind of gets put on the kids Mm -hmm. when in reality, like, and I'm not saying that it would be easy to do this, but what that woman should be doing is like teaching their kids, like why it's so important you know, like her sons, she should be teaching her sons why it's important to be a good husband and to be a good dad. Mm -hmm. But that's not like, that isn't what's going to naturally happen. So we almost have to like fight this whole, I want to share a stat that Caton actually shared with us. And this is from a 
you know, a Christianity faith perspective, but also like this just shows the importance of the father in the family Mm -hmm. and even more so like a family unit as a whole. A survey found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there's a 3.5% probability everybody in the house will follow. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there's a 17% probability everyone else in the household will follow. However, when the father is the first, there's a 93% probability everyone else in the household will follow. And when I hear that, like, I don't even think that, you know, as, as a man and as a dad, I don't even think it's necessarily as much about like when the man line, like does his thing, everybody else does. Because actually, you know, there's so many families that are complete where I think the kids actually have maybe more respect for what the mom says than even what the dad says. And I'm not like, so I don't think it's really about like the power that the man necessarily has in the relationship. I think it's the fact that, you know, even families are complete. Just keeping that complete family unit together is so, so important. And I think that, you know, again, I said this early on in the conversation, but if you grow, if you go into a community and you look at things that are broken, or you take a survey in the prison, and I'm not making this up. These are statistics that exist. You go into a prison and you ask how many of those men or women in a prison, how many of them grew up with a father? Mm-hmm. The stats are going to like way heavy out. Like they didn't. Yep. They did not have a father present. And that's not like obviously 100% of them. But I think the stat on prison for men is like 79% did not have a father at home. Yeah, that really, I mean, that statistic you just read is just really proves the point of the influence that a father has in the home. And I think, you know, regardless of what the statement is, I think it applies to probably anything. But I think probably the main thing is that something shifted inside of the whole home Mm -hmm. in him. And so that's the impact that a that a man can have in his family when something shifts in him and he becomes more compassionate, he becomes more loving, he cares more, he's pouring more into his family. Of course, it's going to shift everything when he's just doing his own thing and he's like, I'm on my way to do this. And he's not paying attention to the rest of the family unit, which there, men, men, all of you men listening, you are designed to lead. You were designed to protect. You were designed to provide. That doesn't mean that we as women can't provide, we can't protect, mm-hmm. but it is in our nature to be more nurturing and to, you know, create a home space. So I think there's really something to be said of that man. And, and I think men truly desire to step into this, but I think it's really like we have to just take this ground right now as, as people of like taking back our families and step into that power of what a man is meant to be. Yeah. It's crazy because, you know, we were having a conversation after, um, that was the day after we were getting ready to leave the hotel and we were talking with Preston Brown and even the, like the different, um, characters of men and women and. Um, you know, he was talking about, as you were just saying that too, he was talking about like our caveman brain and the way it used to be. And like when men would go off to hunt or go off to battle and the women would be left alone with like the older men or the men that were sick. And so when the men were gone, the women would have to, the, the warrior woman Mm -hmm. would have to like rise up and protect the camp because it's when the men are away, the, the looters would come in and like attack the women and the children. And so like, that's when the woman had to become the warrior. So when the men are gone, the women become warriors. If we can change 
the fabric of society when it comes to, you know, reinstituting the marriage and the relationship between husband and wife and then carrying that on through the children. If we could just be a p- small part of that, mm-hmm. like that's a huge impact. If you can just change one relationship at a time, that's big enough for me. And it's like interesting because you can see it today. Mm-hmm. When I said earlier, like, I don't need a man. Well, when the man's gone, you don't need a man. Mm-hmm. Like you be, you feel that role. Yeah, because you're stepping into that. And I think, you know, I love that you're bringing this up because I think women, we are meant to be able to step into that warrior role, but we're not meant to carry that at all times. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened in our culture is women are forced to step into that warrior mentality and carry it. And we're not meant to carry that. You know, we were meant to do it for periods of time, not all of the time. Yeah. So I think that's a huge break apart in our family units is like that, exactly that. Yeah. And then not to continue the spiral here, but when the women become the warriors, the men become emasculated, like they become emasculated. Like Mm -hmm. they're, that's why we have a bunch of sissies. Mm -hmm. Like I hate to say it, but like men don't know how to be men because they don't have men training them how to be men. Yes. And so it's like, I don't know. I mean, when you talk about the deconstruction of the family and all of this comes back to say like our roles as men and women and the family unit are so important to generations and generations and generations. And so we have to, I mean, this is why we do what we do. And I don't even think when we started Next Level Couple, like we really knew, we just like couple work. Like it was just, hey, this is fun and we love it. And we just love being around couples. But the more and more I've seen this, the more and more that I realize that this is like, if we can change the fabric of society when it comes to, you know, reinstituting the marriage and the relationship between husband and wife and then carrying that on through the children, if we could just be a p- small part of that, mm-hmm. like that's a huge impact. If you can just change one relationship at a time, that's big enough for me. Yeah, I so agree. I, I don't think we saw like the full picture. Obviously, we probably still haven't seen the full picture of what it is, but I think, you know, it starts with most of us haven't weren't raised with really strong fathers or really strong mothers or in their right roles. So we have to get around couples who are desiring that and around rooms and spaces where you can learn how men are being men and how women are being women and really step into that because you can read about it, you can learn about it, but until you're around other couples who are actually operating in those in their correct roles and seeing how the family really can flourish and how your life really can flourish, that's what really matters. And I think that's what's really amazing about Next Level Couple Community is that it is a space where we are operating in those gifts. Obviously, we're all kind of messing up at some points, right? Like it's not a perfect community, but that's what we're aiming for. And so if you're looking for that and you don't really know how to find that community, I think this is a great community for you. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to be clear too. Like we know amazing men who stay home with the kids. We know amazing women who run crazy businesses. We know amazing men and women who both have their own businesses. So this isn't like woman stay home, yeah. man go <laughs> work. Um I don't I don't believe in any of that. Like it's it's really just about making sure that, you know, we have stronger marriages which create stronger children and just finding our place in the home. I don't I you know, I don't fall into the I don't neither one of us fall into the category of like Hey, woman, sit down. I mean, mm-hmm. if I tried to control her, um, <laughs> this would not be a good day. Um, she's a very, very strong woman. And I think that's good. Yeah. Like we need strong women. We need strong men. And I don't, 
I, I this isn't going back to like the, you yeah. know, hey woman, sit down kind of conversation. I just want to be really clear on that. But again, yes, like I'm so excited for the next level couple community. In fact, we're opening it back up. Yeah. We only open it up a couple of times a year. So I am really excited about it. I, I do want to just mention something as you were talking. Um, I'm thinking about like the Vikings. Yeah. Cause I love Viking shows, but, um, the woman in that was very strong, very capable of ruling the whole thing. But you notice like in the shows, and I'm sure this is just, it's probably just like history. Um, when the men would go out and do their things or go out to sea or whatever they were doing, she was rising up to be. So it's not, it's not about like what you were saying. Like, it's not about women just sit down and you're just going to raise babies and you're going to be barefoot. If you want to do that, great, yeah. do that. But there's different roles and different types of people and there's room for all of it. But it's really just knowing when to step into those roles and what the occasions are. Yeah, I love it. So if you're interested in the Next Level Couple community, you can text us at 480-531-7519. Text the word couples to 480-531-7519. Or you, you can get on our, our wait list at www.nextlevelcouple.com. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.